You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. If you are a Bible reader, and I hope that this, this is something that maybe you're growing in in your life devotionally, especially if you're a Christian, uh, if you are a Bible reader, uh, I would bet that there's a thin little sliver uh, in your Bible that is potentially untouched uh, by human hands. Right? It's, this is the sliver in my Bible that I'm talking about. It's, it's 58 pages long, right? The pages are pristine there. <laughs> They're immaculate. Uh, they're just brand new uh, in this little sliver. Th- these are the minor prophets. It's the last 12 books uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the, the minor prophets are grouped together as one book, and they're simply called the 12. Now, we don't call them the minor prophets because they're unimportant or insignificant. We call them minor because they're very short, uh, they're very brief. And yet, even though they're really short, most of them, or all of them are really short, you could read any one of them in one sitting easily, the reality is we don't read them very often, uh, if ever at all. In fact, BibleGateway.com has identified the 10 least popular books in the Bible, yeah, the 10 least read books in the Bible, and six of them are minor prophets, right, with Obadiah coming in dead last. Can't believe y'all aren't having your quiet times in Obadiah. It's only 21 verses long. It's an easy quiet time. Y'all need to get over in Obadiah. Uh, but apparently, uh, books like the Psalms and Matthew and Genesis and Romans and John, these are the cool kids on the block that we want to spend our time with, and this is where we hang out most of the time. Here's the deal, though. If my hands have rarely touched that little sliver, those 58 pages in my Bible, uh, then that means my eyes have rarely touched them either, which means my heart has never touched them either, which is a loss. It's a loss because it's a very important part of God's Bible for us. Now, why don't we read the minor prophets? Or why don't we read the, the prophets in general? Because the 12, besides the minor prophets, there's the, the, the big guys, the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, those guys. But we don't read them either. And I think one reason we don't read the prophets is because we think they're going to make us uncomfortable. Uh, We imagine the prophets as these wild, radical, crazy religious zealots with messy hair, you know, that don't dress well, they've got questionable personal hygiene, and we we just imagine that these are not people that we would want to spend very much time with in an extended way, uh, certainly not in our devotional time, because we want our devotional time to be uplifting and comforting and encouraging, something that goes well with, with our morning coffee. That's what our time in the Word should be, right? right? And so, we, we come to the, the Scriptures, our, our devotional time in the Psalms, and God says, we, we read stuff like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we take another sip of coffee, and we're like, mm, that is really good, because I do not want to be in want. Please shepherd me more, God. We spend our devotional times in a book like Hosea, and we hear things like this. God says, I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. And we think, all right, I'm really uncomfortable now. 
I was just trying to start my day with a little Bible, and now this prophet is calling me a bad name, right? I'm going back to the Psalms. They make us uncomfortable. Another reason we don't read the the prophets very often is that they're confusing, which can make them intimidating. If you accidentally wander into Zechariah or Amos, it's like you've wandered into the hinterlands, into the outback, where you don't understand how life works anymore. Because there's all kinds of names that are difficult to pronounce, like Zerubbabel. You know, there's lots of historical situations that seem really distant from our time. There's lots of cultures that seem really foreign to us. And you think, man, this is not relevant to my life at all, which couldn't be any further from the truth. Because you see, if we don't listen to what God said to God's people way back then through the prophets, then we're missing a big part of what God is saying to us today as His people. We are setting a lofty goal this summer. We're going to preach through all 12 minor prophets. Uh, Today's just an introduction, and then we're going to take one minor prophet a week for the next 12 weeks uh, after this. It's a lofty goal. And obviously, uh, we're, we're going to get just a high-level view uh, of these 12 minor prophets. We, we won't be able to cover all that's there. But we hope in getting a high-level view of them, uh, you'll be encouraged to maybe spend more time there in the years to come when you meet with God in devotional, devotional time, your time in the Scriptures. Now, at the risk of um, telling you something that you already know, I want to do something very briefly at the outset of this series, because uh, I think it will be helpful. I want to show you where the prophets fit in in the storyline of the Bible, all right? So if you have a Bible, look at the table of contents. I know it's a little weird, but we're actually going to look at the table of contents. If you don't have a Bible, get where you can look on with someone else and and see their table of contents. There's some black Bibles there in the pews. You can just grab one there. Check out the table of contents. Not the alphabetical order table of contents, but the actual order they are in your Bible. I want you to see how the Old Testament is laid out in your Bible so that when you read a book, you can have a context for where it fits in the story. Now, there are three, there's three big sections in the Old Testament. There's 39 total books in the Old Testament. Uh, the first 17 books are what we call the historical books. The next five books are the uh, wisdom books. And then the last 17 books are the prophetic books, the prophets. So, 17, 5, 17. Easy to remember. The narrative or the storyline of the, of the Bible only takes place or only advances in the first 17 books, Genesis through Esther. Those are the historical books. Now, here's a two-minute recap of the story of the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, God creates uh, the heavens and the earth. He creates humankind but humankind also falls into sin. And at that point, God sets about redeeming all that is lost uh, in the fall. And what he does in Genesis is he he, he starts to form a people for himself by making a covenant with one man, Abraham. And he promises Abraham land uh, and, and blessing and descendants. Some of Abraham's descendants end up becoming the nation of Israel. And years later, the nation of Israel finds itself in slavery in Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, uh, God leads them out of slavery under the leadership of Moses. Now, if you look at, back at uh, your, your table of contents there, in the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy, God makes another covenant uh, with this people under the leadership of Moses. 
and he gives them all kinds of things. He graciously gives them laws by which to obey him. He gives them a sacrificial system by which they can deal with their sin. He gives them instructions for how to worship him. Uh, God draws near to Israel. Uh, He's their God. They are his people. He He binds himself covenantally to them. In the book of Joshua, Israel enters the promised land. In the book of Judges and, and, and in Ruth, Israel begins this repeated cycle where they turn away from, the, from God, they reject God, and then they, become, they, they go through a time where they get oppressed by some sort of outside nation. They cry out to God, they turn back to God, God help us, and then God delivers them through one of his appointed leaders or through one of his judges. In First, in First Samuel through Second Chronicles, if you look there, uh, the next, I guess, six books in, in the Old Testament, Israel enters this period of monarchy where they have kings. At first, they are a united kingdom, but then they become a divided kingdom. They split. There's a northern kingdom called Israel, and there's a southern kingdom called Judah. Uh, and they, they go on divided, as a divided kingdom. And in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, that's largely the story of Israel and Judah's unfaithfulness to God. Under the leadership of mostly bad kings, they turn from God. And so God brings judgment upon them. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, is, is, is carried off, invaded and carried off by the nation of Assyria in 722 B.C., And Judah, the southern kingdom, is carried off into exile by the Babylonians, the Babylonian exile of 586 B.C. Seventy years later, some of those people are allowed to come back to Jerusalem, back to their land, to begin to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that time period, that post-exile time period, is talked about in Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, and that's the story of the Old Testament. That's where the story ends. All of the other books of the Old Testament don't advance the story. They just fit into those 17 books. Does that make sense? So the next five books, the, the wisdom books, Job through Song of Solomon, those all fit within that story. Job takes place during the times of, of Genesis. Uh, the Psalms through Song of Solomon take place during the time of the kings, mostly under King David and King Solomon. The last 17 books of the Old Testament are the prophets. You've got the five major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, uh, and then you've got the 12 minor prophets starting in Hosea. The prophets lived in a very particular t- uh, time period in the, in the history of, of, of God's people. They lived during the time of the kings, during the time of the exile to Babylon, and then the post-exile time. And so the prophets kind of, they, they basically, they fall in. If you look at your table of contents, that section from 1 Kings to Esther, all of the prophets fit within that part of the story. And they're, they're prophesying and writing during 1 Kings uh, to Esther. It's 900 B.C. roughly to 400 B.C. When, when the Old Testament story ends. Hey, it's really important to know that before you read the prophets or before you listen to sermons on the prophets because you need to know where they're historically situated. The prophets were real people ministering to, in real situations Uh, in the real history of God's people, and it's important to know that. What we want to do this summer is invite you to actually read the Minor Prophets yourself uh, on your own. Uh, And it may be the first time for many of you to to read the Minor Prophets, and if it is, uh, you're not going to understand a lot of what you're reading. And you may have read them many times, and you're still not going to understand a lot of what you're reading. Don't get discouraged by that. 
got a lifetime to delve into the riches of God's Word. Uh, We've given you a summer reading plan. If you'll notice that you pull this out, it's in your liturgy there. If you follow this, you will read the minor prophet. You'll read a minor prophet each week, and you'll read it the week before we preach on it. So if you'll notice, the first one on there, June 2nd through the 6th, which starts tomorrow, is Jonah. And so read Jonah. Uh, Read it once, read it a few times this week. It's only two pages in my Bible. So if I'm going to read like that and that, I'm done reading Jonah, right? You can do that. It's like five minutes. Read it a few times this week. One page, two page. Begin to ask some questions. There's some good devotional questions there at the bottom of the page to help you process each week. What am I reading? What's the Lord saying through this? And then on the back, there's a, um, a helpful chart that kind of walks you through the Old Testament narrative that I just, you'll be able to see where the, pro- the, the prophets are situated. This looks really confusing at first, but it's actually really helpful. Don't worry about figuring it out right now. Thanks to Grayson Walker for finding this for us. It's really helpful. All right, so read the prophets um, on your own, and I, I think you'll be encouraged as you do. I want to give you three things. We don't have much time left together. I want to give you three things to help you as you read the Minor Prophets this summer. Three what I'll call interpretive signposts to help you understand them, but also to help you see why it's important to read them. And I, again, I don't have much time to say much about any of these three things, but here they are. The prophets are sometimes foretellers. Uh, the prophets are, are almost always foretellers, and the prophets point to Jesus. Okay, they foretell, they foretell, and they point to Jesus. Let's talk first about how they are foretellers. This is, uh, well, this is what most people think of when they think of the prophets. They're foretellers. Oh, yeah, the prophets. Aren't those the guys that, like, told the future? They were, like, soothsayer, fortune teller, psychic kind of guys, and they told the future. And that's, that's generally what people think of when they think of the prophets. When I was a kid, um, some of my friends had this toy called the Magic 8-Ball. Anybody, anybody remember this? Is this toy still around? It was the mysterious black and white orb uh, produced by Mattel Toys, right? You remember this? And you, would ask, you would ask a question about your future of the 8-Ball, and then you would shake up the Magic 8-Ball. So you would ask, like, will I marry my fourth-grade girlfriend? And then you would shake up the eight ball. And you're on pins and needles because your future is staked on what the eight ball is going to say. And slowly, uh, the answer would rise, would surface, and would appear in the window of the eight ball. And it would say something like, outlook not good. And you'd be like, no. How will I live without this girl? She's everything my 10-year-old self could imagine. Um, But the eight ball had spoken, and you knew that that was not going to happen, right? And the eight-ball was right. I did not marry my fourth-grade girlfriend. Um, A lot of times, when the prophets speak about the future, uh, we need to be careful not to treat the words of the prophets like the magic eight-ball, right? Uh, We don't read the prophets so we can grab a verse here and a phrase here and then cobble together a vision of the future based on verses and phrases. That's not how the prophets work when they foretell. Because when we do that, it's easy for us to lift the prophecies out of the historical context that they're in and, and just assign our own meaning to them. It's very dangerous. The prophets, the prophets don't give us like a grab bag of random, disconnected, futuristic predictions. Like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff that's not connected, but it's all going to come true one day, so believe that. That's not how the prophets work. 
They always are historically situated. There's a specific prophet speaking to a specific original audience in a specific situation. To understand the prophets speaking of the future, we have to start there. What are they saying to the original audience, and what's the situation, right? How does this verse or phrase that grabs my attention, how does it fit within this chapter, this book, the Old Testament, and all of Scripture? And that's how we begin to study the foretelling nature of the prophets. Here's the tricky thing, though. When the prophets spoke about the future, they predicted things that were both near to them and far from them. And usually, they talked about those things as if they were going to happen simultaneously. So they would, they would foreshorten time. They would kind of like tell us, you know, you could, tell, you could close up a telescope, and that's what they would do. So it'd be like if I was looking at a mountain range. When I look at a mountain range, I see all kinds of peaks in the distance, and they look like they're very close to each other. And yet, there, there may be great valleys and great distances between the peaks. And the prophets would look off into the future, and they would see peaks of God's justice and judgment and of God's deliverance. But usually, they didn't tell you the timing of them. And so, was it near or was it far? Now, I want to give you an example of this and how tricky this is. Turn to uh, Joel chapter 2. Many of you have never turned to Joel before. So, here's a moment for you. Easiest way to get to Joel is go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and go backwards about 50 pages, and you'll be at Joel. Hosea, then Joel. There's this phrase that you see a lot in the prophets called the day of the Lord. They they often talked about this day that was coming, the day of the Lord. It was in the future, but the question was, what is that? How far off is it? Joel talks about it. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 1. He's prophesying to the kingdom of Judah, so that southern kingdom. He says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's near. Okay, how near? Like tomorrow? A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness, there's spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. So there's these invaders. So apparently there's this day of judgment coming. God's going to use another nation to judge Judah. This might be talking about the Babylonians. Not sure. Now skip over to verse 28 in chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterward... What do you mean afterward? You mean like next week? Uh, In a couple years? It shall come to pass afterward, and I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The sun will become black and the moon will be turned to blood. So the moon will be red before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So again, he talks about this day of the Lord. But when is it? Hundreds of years later, In Acts chapter 2, God pours out His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You can read about it. 
And all of the disciples of Jesus, it's just after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, all of the disciples of Jesus start to speak in different languages. And they're speaking about the mighty works of God. And it's like craziness to people that are observing. They're like, why are these guys prophesying, saying all this stuff? They're speaking different languages. These people are drunk. That's what's happening. And that's the assessment. They're, They're drunk. And Peter, the apostle, stands up and he begins to preach. And you know how he starts his sermon? Joel chapter 2, that very passage that I just read to you. And he said, this is what the prophet Joel predicted when he was talking about the day of the Lord, that, that, my, that God would pour out his spirit and that people would prophesy. That's what's happening here. So see, in Joel, the day of the Lord is near to his time, but it's also further out hundreds of years later, but it's also even further out, even in the future for us. Revelation chapter 6 says this, It's still in the future for you and me. Revelation 6, when the Lamb of God opened the sixth seal, I looked and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood, blood red for the great day of the Lord's wrath has come. And so you see the language of Joel used even for the distant future. The day of the Lord in every case is a day of judgment. But it's also a day of salvation. It's a day of deliverance for all those who turn to the Lord. And that's the point of the foretelling nature of the prophets, is that we would turn to the Lord, that we would turn to Him and seek His mercy and see that He's sovereign in all of human history. The purpose of the foretelling is not to satisfy all our curiosities about the future. Is Prince Charles the Antichrist? I think that was going around like in the 90s. That's not the purpose of the foretelling nature of the prophets, is that we would turn to him. Dr. Richard Pratt says this. By the way, Richard Pratt will be with us at the end of the summer to preach our last sermon in in, in the Minor Prophets. If you don't know who he is, he's wonderful. Uh, He'll preach our sermon on Malachi in August. And uh, he's also going to do a Saturday uh, time for us as a church. It's going to be great. So we'll tell you more about that coming up. But this is what Richard Pratt says. He says, the prophets didn't so much... Uh, want to inform their listeners about the future as much as they wanted to activate their listeners to form the future, to seek the mercy of God so that they could avoid judgment and find His blessing. So that's the point of foretelling, that we would seek God. We read the prophets to, to remind ourselves that God is sovereign in all of, all of history, and He's merciful, so we ought to seek His mercy. All right, the prophets also foretell. Let's say a little bit about this. Um, the prophets don't only speak about the future, right? Oftentimes, in fact, in, in all of the prophets, they speak about the now, the present. They foretell. And this, this is really their primary role more than foretelling. Uh, to foretell is just to proclaim God's word, to, to preach God's word. And all of them do that. Uh, just a quick survey of the beginning of some of the, the, the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel. Amos chapter 1 verse 3. Thus says the Lord. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord. Verse 9. Thus says the Lord. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord. The, uh, in Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God. Jonah. Now the word of the Lord that came to Jonah. 
You get the point. It goes on and on and on. The prophets, when they came to the people, were not claiming to come with their own words. They were coming with the very Word of God to them. God had something to say, and the people needed to hear it. But I don't want you to miss this. It's not just that it was the Word of God that gave weight to what the prophets had to say. It's not only that. Uh, It's also the nature of the relationship that the people had with God that gave it weight. I'll give you an example. If I were to get a voicemail from a college buddy of mine, and he said, hey man, uh, haven't talked to you in a while, feeling disconnected from you, love to hang out, let's get together soon. I'll be like, oh, cool. So, you know, next time I got a chance, I'd give him a call. Next time I had a chance, we'd get, it, we'd get together, set up a time to get together. Now, if I got a voicemail from Amy Stuman, who is my wife, and the, the voicemail said something like this, um, we need to talk. I'm feeling disconnected from you. Let's get together soon. I would drop everything I was doing right then and call her right then. Because the nature of the relationship affects the weight of the words on the voicemail, doesn't it? I am covenantally bound to Amy. She's my wife. Uh, We are one flesh. And if she calls me and says, hey, it feels like we're operating as two instead of one, I got to call it right then. Baby, let's get together right now. Let's go get some queso, which is her love language. Okay? She speaks queso. Habla queso. She loves queso. We're getting together to talk. The nature of the relationship. The prophets, um, the people to whom the prophets were coming, uh, they were in covenant with God. God had bound himself to them as their king. This is how a treaty or a covenant worked in the ancient Near East. Whenever a sovereign lord or king decided to make a treaty or a covenant with a lesser city or a lesser people, a vassal, nation, uh, this is how it worked. That sovereign lord or king would bind himself to that people in, in such that he would say, I will provide for you and I will protect you. And then those people would bind themselves to him covenantally and say, we, you'll have our loyalty. We'll be loyal to you. Now, oftentimes that sovereign king or sovereign lord had to send ambassadors or emissaries to the people because they would forget the covenant. And they would begin to act and live outside of the bounds of the covenant. And the ambassadors would remind the people that life is found within the boundaries of the covenant. That's what the prophets are doing. The prophets are ambassadors, emissaries of the great king. And they come straight from the throne room of the king with a word from the king. And they say to the people, there's been a breach in the covenant. Their words always have the weight of the covenant behind them. There's been a breach, and life for you is only found in the covenant. The people desperately needed these words. They were the way to life. To depart from these words would be death. And so we need to read the prophets as Christians today because we, they remind us that God has graciously spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us, and we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God because, because by God's Word, we have life. By God's Word, we're nourished, we're sustained, we're formed, we're corrected, we're rebuked, we're trained in righteousness. And, and the prophets honestly remind us that when God speaks, He doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. He doesn't tickle our ears. He doesn't flatter us. 
and I and always say everything is awesome, does he? Because sometimes loving words are hard words, and the prophets remind us of that. The prophets remind us that a, love, a, a sovereign, holy, loving God fiercely goes after His covenant people to tell them the truth, even if it's hard to hear, because He loves them. And as Christians, we are a unique covenant people. We are bound to God and He to us through the blood of Jesus, our King. And we believe that God has spoken and that He's still speaking through His Word. It's why we come to church. It's why we read the Bible devotionally. We don't just see the Bible as information. We see it as an agent of formation. It's God's Word that brings life to us. And so, it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be foretold, told forth. And so, when you read the, the prophets this summer, ask yourself, what is God saying to His people back then? And consequently, what's He saying to His people now, to me now? The prophets were foretellers. They were foretellers. And finally, I'll just say a few things about this. The prophets point us to Jesus. Let me end here. They point us to Jesus. Look at Luke 24, which is what the Scripture reading was today. Luke 24. I won't read all of that. I'll just read a couple of verses. Jesus Himself said that, that our interpretation of the prophets must be centered on Him. If we're going to interpret them rightly, we must have a Christ-centered interpretation. This is after His resurrection. A couple of disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus. Jesus joins them. They don't recognize Him. They're confused about who Jesus was, like He was about His crucifixion. And then now some people are saying that He's alive again. They don't know how to take that. And so Jesus, in verse 25, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. See, He rebukes them because they knew what the prophets said. They just didn't believe the prophets, or they didn't understand the prophets. And He says, the prophets talked about the life, the death, and the resurrection, or the glorification of me, of Jesus. That's what the prophets are pointing to. And He thought, you guys should know this. When you read the prophets, remember that they point to Jesus. Sometimes they point to Jesus very clearly. Like in Micah 5.2, we see His birth. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, from you shall come forth a ruler whose coming forth is from ancient days. The Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah 9.9 talks about His triumphal entry at the beginning of the Passion Week. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Zechariah 12.10 talks about his crucifixion. It says, I'll pour out on the house of David a spirit of grace, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Hosea 13.14 talks about his resurrection. Hosea says, I will deliver them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O grave, where is your sting? And we hear that again in 1 Corinthians 15. These these verses are very clearly about Jesus of Nazareth. But I want you to know this. Even when there's not a clear reference to Jesus in a verse in the Minor Prophets, uh, 
Jesus is still the ultimate fulfillment uh, of both the message and the ministry of the prophets, right? He fulfills their message because what is their message? A holy God is calling a sinful people to return to Him. That's the gospel. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And, he's, and He fulfills their ministry. What is the ministry of a prophet? To reveal God, to speak the words of God. And no one did that more perfectly than Jesus did. In fact, did you notice when Jessica was reading that those two disciples in, in Luke 24, they referred to Jesus as a prophet? They said He was a prophet, a mighty in word and deed. And so they were, they were partially right there. Uh, he, he wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. He was the only one to perfectly reveal God to us, not just in what He said, but in who He is. See, Jesus didn't just speak the words of God, which He did. He, he, was, he is the Word of God, John 1, 1. And so, as you read the prophets this summer, look for Jesus there and ask yourself, where is Jesus foreshadowed here? Where is Jesus predicted here? Uh, because He is the fulfillment of all the hopes that the prophets had, of all the visions that the prophets had, and He's actually the only way that we can actually keep all that the prophets are calling us to, that we can live those things out. So look for Jesus. Even in Jonah, if you read Jonah this week, and I hope you will, uh, look for Jesus there. Jonah never talks about Him explicitly, but He's there, and He's pointing us, leading us to our Savior. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.